Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now my guest on the podcast this time around is 2012 Bathurst 1000 winner, Paul Umbrell. Here on part two, we cover off the deal that saw him nearly replace Russell Ingall at Stone Brothers Racing. In fact, it was a deal that had to be undone. His breakthrough success at Sandown with his first V8 supercar win in 2010, how he joined Triple Eight as a co-driver and then as a co-owner. He also deals with our National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions. And one of those questions got us talking about his brother Lucas and, of course, the day of that terrible accident at Oran Park that affected Lucas for the rest of his life and their hot lap around Bathurst together in one of LDM's V8 supercars, Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. We also get PD to answer our Motorfocus Top 10 shootout, so let's get ready to roll into part two. I caught up with PD face-to-face at Total Tools head office in Port Melbourne. Here we go. Buckle up, part two. Paul Dumbrell on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timken. So he ended up with Larry, I think, for four years. So that was 03 till 06. The last year, Jack Daniels replaced yep. Castrol. And the cars were still competitive. I mean, Richo won a round or two, won yep. some races at the Grand Prix. Yep. What's the standout best result for you of that time? Because you did have some good strong runs where you were top five or top ten. Yep. And uh, I think there was a race at Winton where you qualified third, on the front, front row. row. I mean, and yeah, you finished yeah. third in one of the races yep. there. Is there a standout race in that time with, with Larry's team for you as, yeah, that, that was the, that was the right, right result at the right time and I, I did the best job? I think, I can't remember what year it was. It might have been actually uh, their first enduro at Bathurst where um, LP, we had a shunt early in the weekend uh, and um, the boys worked all night to repair the car. Was that the Jack Daniels car when it popped the tyre on Conrad Strait with Richo? No, I no, different year. No, I think it might be a different year. I think it was. Yeah, uh, my memory is so sketchy, and, and we were competitive. We were in the top three in the. 04. It was 04, With and we we're actually. Um, you you, know, you led going up the mountain on the first lap. Yeah, absolutely. Bathurst qualifying was uh, always a bit of fun, and uh, top ten shootout did did a reasonable job that day. But I think yeah, we were late in the race, and and uh, obviously the the fuel tank. I think the pump was on backwards, and it was actually pumping oil out of the car. We had to come in really, really late in the race to actually fill that. That was a great day. Like we were competitive all day we were on the money we didn't make any mistakes um and uh, you know we we sort of you know we're in position for a good for a good show i think that yeah the 04 qualifying top 10 shootout like you know as a relatively um you know, young bloke being in the game a couple well, of it you were third so yeah, richard was, pole, Rich was right. pole and we were sort of i went you know maybe half a second quicker than i'd done in qualifying i think it might have been like a high seven at the time which, which, the was, a rocket, which was yeah crazy you know sort of uh, at the time but um yeah i think there was plenty of uh plenty of uh you know challenging times um yeah you know, and there was some great great opportunities along the way as well why did you leave there after four years? Was that that there was you ended up at PWR for a year? What was the rationale of what happened there? I think it was just the change. Like it was a change that was needed to 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 uh, to happen. And and I've been there a long time. You know, the environment and, and I'll take full responsibility for that. Wasn't we weren't gelling. We we wasn't working for both. And and to be honest, I can't actually remember 
all the details of what led us to where we got to. I think it was for both sides. You know, we both needed a, a change and, and uh, for, for the business and for myself. Um, yeah, we went to PWR and I think, um, you know, whilst we didn't have a great a great year there. Um, you know, the, the history of that team and the car was really, really good. You know, had a great foundation at the time and, and certainly were hopeful that it would have, would have gone better than what it did. So there was a bit of an irony there, there that you end up, because at the time, so for those who probably don't understand the, the business, and we'll touch on it a bit later, but I mean, automotive brands, the family business that you were involved with so many years, Autobahn, a bunch of other elements. But yep. so at the time, are you working for automotive brands that is Autobahn and you're driving for a super cheap auto car? Uh, no, our family was heavily involved. I wasn't working. You uh, I still started stage. working 07, 08. So just at the end of that. Yep. Yeah. So um, I remember David Jala, um, who was there at Super Cheap at the time. So I had that conversation with him saying, you know, I don't have a day to day involvement in that, um, in, in the business. So obviously everyone got comfortable uh, with it. It was Cam, Cam McConville and I who sort of, uh, you know, uh, campaigned that year. Um, and Willie and I at Bathurst or the Enduros as well. Yeah. One of the things that going back through the files is interesting. You give me the look of oh god, where's this going? <laughs> Here we go, yeah. So there was stories. Is it right that there was a deal for you to go to Stone Brothers for two thousand and eight, and was a long way down the track? Holden got a sniff of it and went, like hell, you're going there, and got you tied up with Walkinshaws and the HSV dealer team. You can reveal all now. How close was it? Was it done? What stage was it at? I think, yeah, I think it was well, well, well down the path. I think there was merchandise printed. That's well down the track. <laughs> if there's a cap yeah, shirt, it's absolutely, on. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think uh, absolutely okay. So, yeah, certainly. I and this was to replace Russell Ingle. I think it was, yes. Yeah, so it must must have been. So, uh, or was Russell still there that year? No, he, he finished he at okay. the end of 07 yeah. and went to Morris's, and Van That's Gisbergen right. ended up in the number nine seat. That's right. That you were going to be into. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that that was the plan. Um, and then the Walkinshaw opportunity came so up. So, you signed to, the deal. Um, I'm pretty sure we we, we did right. uh, at the time. So, obviously, uh, Gary and and the st- uh, Jimmy. So it was and Ross. autobahn. Sponsorship. Yes. Yeah, it was involved uh, with the sponsorship as well. So, um, yeah, so obviously, yeah, we navigated our way uh, out of that at the time. And, and was that messy or easy or? Yeah, to be perfectly frank, so I didn't have a lot to do with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, but, yeah, certainly I think, you yeah, know, there was a, certainly a lot of, um, uh, you know, unhappy people at the time, <laughs> which is rightly so. And I think, you know, uh, thankful for all parties, you know, there was an outcome which we reached and, and we both got to do what we wanted to do at the time, so. And Van Gisbergen got his first full-time seat and Absolutely. Know, worked yeah, out right Shane, Shane, so I've got a chain of logo check history as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you end up at the HSV dealer team. So the Walkinshaws um, set up. Of course, yep. Garth Tand has moved to the red car. So yep. you, you end up at Walkinshaws for a couple of years. On the face of it, that should have been a good thing, but it probably didn't quite pan out. Was it just a case of wrong timing or what was the scenario there? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, with Rick and I, I think, you know, I guess the the performance of the team had that team had been you know the pretty much the dominant team for of, for a long long time. And of time. the two Walkinshaw teams, it was it was the back yeah absolutely back absolutely. Yeah. So um, you know hey you know Rick was still performing, and so yeah the only that only thing you can benchmark yourself is against your teammate, and, and certainly I didn't perform anywhere near where Rick performed and, and where Garth and Rick performed uh, for many, many years. So at the end of the day, I have to take responsibility for that. I'm the driver, the spacer between the steering Did, wheel and the seat. But um, why? Did you just not gel with their cars or well, yeah, I think were you we, too busy again, in business by that stage? Or? Once again, I think we, we I didn't have the right balance. I didn't, I didn't understand what I needed to do to be successful. 
Um, I think that was the key the key thing. I think the environment was great. EP was my Eric engineer. Pender, yeah. Eric Pender was my engineer. Uh, you know, Rick and I were great mates um, throughout the time. So the environment was there for me to succeed. Um, obviously, I just didn't uh, or wasn't able to make it work. So similar to probably early in my career, some glimpses of speed. We had some good good results occasionally. Um, you know, plenty of crashes, which, you know, probably is makes it really hard for the team. You know, the team's a race winning team. They had GT, who I was replacing, you know, won the championship with both drivers, et cetera. And then, you know, I come in and, and no doubt, um, you know, didn't meet the expectation, um, all the time. And I'm, I'm a realist about that. There's no point to, um, position it any other way than mm. what it is. Uh, and that no doubt bred frustration on both sides, myself, uh, and the team as well that I couldn't deliver consistently. Um, you know, for, for that car. You did get involved in a bit of a clothes swap, though, there, because everyone remembers when HRT and HSV did the swap with Tanda to HRT and uh, shuffled their drivers around in 2006. Yep. But everyone forgets that they did it in 2009 with you. So you went from the Autobahn car regularly during the year to ending up in the 22 HRT car for, uh, for the Enduros at Bathurst and Phillip Island, Island was at that was, stage. Yeah. Uh, everyone will forget Paul Umbrell as a Holden Racing Team driver, but you were for two weekends. Why did that happen? How did it happen? What was the scenario there? I, I think you know that that team was was run as a, a I guess a pseudo four car team, whilst it was two teams. Um, yeah, I think they just positioned um, that that was what they wanted to do. And certainly, as a young driver, it's a great opportunity. I've still got the red suit uh, <laughs> up uh, up at home somewhere in the garage. So um, yeah, it was a huge. It was a great experience, and we once again we probably performed better than what I had been performing uh, in the autobahn car at the time. I think we qualified uh, on pole in one of the um, qualifying races, races down at yeah. Phillip Island and, and Bathurst we were going well I, I think I tapped the wall up at the top of top of the mountain late in the race um, as well so um, yeah it was a great experience you know I think I've been really fortunate to drive in a number of teams you've driven all the big ones uh, really absolutely yeah. and which is great so you know I've been able to see um, how I've performed in those teams seen seen how they operate you know behind behind the closed doors as well um, so it's been a great part of my career um, having been been involved in so many teams you talked about the red suit one of the things we love in our world of V8 sleuth is old stuff memorabilia old cars helmet suits all that stuff are you a keeper of stuff? Are you a hoarder or do you not really care? Or have you got some special stuff that you keep tucked away? I wish I was more of a hoarder and kept various things, which, to be honest, I, I would have thought I would have kept and, and somehow can't locate over the years. So I would have loved to have kept all my helmets um, over the years and what I've got. So I've got a couple of the key ones, the Bathurst ones, etc. as well. So, yeah, definitely got plenty of boxes at home in the garage of all various stuff, which one day I'll need to go through and clean out. Um, but, you know, uh, once again, you reflect back in 10, 15, 20 years' time, um, it'd be good to have a few of those sentimental pieces. Certainly I've got all my suits and stuff from the last six or seven years um, with, with Triple Eight. What about the car that you would have? If you could down the track get one of them back uh, from over the years that you could just park up in the garage at home or have somewhere safely tucked yeah. away what's the the one car or is there a problem in that your Bathurst winning car is owned by your, your co-driver yeah, and he's never going to give it up it's got stolen um, no yeah Jada that's one car I would love, love to have bought a the history of that car with with Jamie, but also you know the place it sort of uh, um, holds in in my sort of history in my um, career as well. So yeah, it was. I think Jamie just had the idea before I did, uh, and uh, and RD uh, sold him the car. So um, and I, he's done a great job uh, with it, restoring it. It's, you know, pristine. He's had a couple of runs in it as well. Uh, but yeah, no, that would be the the one car which uh, which would love to own one day. 
And if you can't get that one... I'll steal it. Um, <laughs> That's one way to do it. No. Um, I, lo- I actually looked at buying my uh, um, Konica Series car. Um, the the, the race-winning one. Yeah, the absolutely. Car. So, um, yeah, once again, you know, a lot of the, that and, and uh, Kate, um, the... Uh, the um, Vodafone Commodore, which it was at the time, uh, would be the two cars which I'd love, love to own one day. Oh, well, you never know. You never know. Never know. Never know. Hey, 2010 Sandown, mm-hmm. your first V8 Supercar Championship race win, by which stage you're at FPR with Rod Nash, the Bottle O Falcon. Uh, you mentioned that period of your career early on when we first started the chat. At that point, you'd done 100 and something supercar races. How important was it? What did it feel like to finally – I think you got your first poll that weekend as well from I'm memory as well. Out, out of all the stats, I'm pretty sure you actually got this stat some 10 or 12 years ago. It was actually the weekend before where I was about to break you the record. You were about to break the record the longest, for the longest run, most without races podium. without a win or podium, podium. or whatever, podium. And, and, and you got one in Tassie. Got it. So I think the weekend that I was going to break the record, uh, I actually got a, got a poll and, uh, and got a podium. So – uh, and they were back-to-back weekends. That's um, right, they were too. And I guess I think I talked about earlier about the time where I sort of worked out what I needed to do and, and my month looked like Tassie, sand down, now I jumped on a plane the next day to fly to Cozumel, Mexico to do an Ironman and then jumped, finished that race on Sunday, jumped on a plane back to Australia and flew back to do Homebush. Yeah. Um, and wasn't it at this stage that you were – not sure if you're going to go on. You were talking about pulling the pin. Yeah, so I think we I made the decision to pull the pin. Um, and um, I think it was after, I think we had the conversation at Sandown where that would be the likely outcome. With Rod? Uh, with Rod, Rod yeah, pulled yeah. pull the pin um, there and, and obviously Sandown eventuated and decided to to, to go again. Um, so you, you got a win and that convinced you to change your mind? I think it was over the weekend. I think it's one of those, most drivers, you think about doing what's the right right thing and it's only until you start talking about it uh, with other people and it's more uh, out in the open, you actually really have that shock, is it actually what you want to do versus just what you're thinking about? Um, so, yeah, that weekend obviously decided to, to, to go again as well. But, yeah, no, the Sandown weekend was uh, was in quite challenging circumstances as well. The, uh, where there was a big shunt over the back, um, if you remember, and I sort of actually skidded across turn one and they restarted the race and put me back on pole, I think it was. So this, wasn't this, this the, the one where you had tender, with Tanner, you had a bump with him in the first couple I, of corners, his tyre goes tie flat, bleed, yeah. he's in the fence at the end yep. of the back straight. And I restarted the race and put That's us all right. back on the grid. So yeah, it's like everything in my career, there's a few stories within stories uh, <laughs> with that stuff. So, yeah, obviously really disappointing for GT because it was a big monster shunt. Uh, up there, which is disappointing for him and, and all the boys uh, within within that team. Um, but we, we got a win, and um, I think, uh, you know, RD has a joke about it that they uh, um, the race was shortened and the Triple Eight boys um, overfilled Jamie's car. They obviously didn't reduce the fuel that they put in the because car. Because there'd be less because, laps in the race. Yeah, less laps where, where, where uh, you know, our, our, our guys did. So, um, yeah, no, I remember... You know, Jamie was beating down on me. I thought, out of all my friends, I don't know if this is good or a bad <laughs> These thing. These friends are not very friendly, And he's they? a ruthless, a ruthless bastard, Jamie. So there's, if there was an opportunity, he would have been straight down the inside. There would be no doubt about it. So uh, anyway, it was it was good to uh, good to get that win and uh, certainly one of the highlights of my career because obviously, you know, every driver wants, um, you know, as a standalone uh, driver, you know, obviously show success. You went one more year. Full time, 2011, and then you pulled the pin and you end up in enduro drive for a very long time. What changed from when you kind of made the decision in 10 to actually making it in 11? Was it 
business has grown and you, you, your lack of time, had you lost the love for it, was it getting too hard? Why'd you, why did you do it 12 months after when you thought you might do it? I think the, the, we, Roll and I nearly had done a deal the year before. Oh, tell more. Now we're so, talking. Uh, so what's this yeah, in 20? It was, I think, you know, he was sort in, of in showing 10, some success. In yeah, in 2010, I think, uh, memories, we were walking back um, at a – Good race at um, Tasmania. Good race at Sandown. Did my Ironman. Came back to ta- uh, came back to Homebush, which I think was the first year from memory, and uh, didn't have a great race there. You know, a few crashes. Then walking back after the Sunday night race, Saturday Sunday after a race, back into the big pit pavilion. And RD didn't really know RD that well, and he sort of said to to me, you know, why don't you come? Why don't you give up, foot retire, and and come race for for us. Uh, and, and partner with with Jamie um, or drive within the team, and you know, he said we'll give you the environment, we'll get you right, we'll, we'll we'll you know give you the environment that you need to 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 win. And I think you know, Triple Eight have been successful in that with every driver they've done with. So you know, it's a lot to be said about the culture and the environment that uh, that the team has. Um, you know, I just don't think I was personally ready to to give up at that time. And did did you ever deal for eleven anyway with? FPR with yes. Nash? Yeah, yeah well, right. I think we had so a three-year deal. I had a three-year deal. So, um, and once again, you know, Rod, Rod was great, you know, in the following year because um, I certainly had another year on my contract to go to drive full-time with For them. 12. For 12. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, RD and I reached a deal a little bit earlier uh, than probably what was uh, documented uh, around the place. Um, and then, yeah, so knew, knew I was going to become a, an enduro driver for Triple Eight um, in 2012. Was there any other opportunities or offers or thoughts or I guess when that one comes along, that's probably the best one you could get anyway. And, so anything else doesn't really matter. And I think that's a, probably a big part of it was um, driving, which was shaping up to be the best or probably was at the time, you know, the best touring car team in the country over the last 2008 to 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, to drive with Jamie, um, you know, to drive with, uh, you know, one of your best mates, um, well, allegedly, one of allegedly, your best Allegedly, yeah. I've probably got to reflect on that. The story is yeah, about that. think, about, think about a number of things over the years, which probably got to challenge myself. Um, no, but to drive with one of your best mates um, in, and who's one of the best drivers um, that the country um, has seen or statistically is the most successful driver, um, you know, um, what what else would you want to do? Um, and, and even over the last seven or eight years um, had been – um, a number of uh, drives or full-time drives have been spoken about from teams and uh, I think a few team owners have said um, very rarely do you get the quickest no uh, <laughs> than what you get. And I just wasn't interested, was not interested. You, you didn't know, one entertain pers- any of them? Did not, in- did not entertain, uh, you know, one of them. You know, we had a great um, thing going uh, whilst the results probably will say we underachieved from the opportunity we had. Um, at the same time, you know, we gave it, a, gave it our all and I don't think anyone could challenge, you know, Jamie or I, you know, sort of uh, living our, you know, wearing a heart on our sleeves and, and just trying to win every single race that we entered into. There's... I think there's something going on YouTube that there's been. <laughs> Hello, somewhere. darkness. That's it. I've been yeah. asked by a few people if you've seen it, but clearly, clearly you have. Yes. Of those, oh. I think this is me personally. If you can be in a position to win Bathurst as many times as you and Jamie were, yep. you've got one. You got yep. twelve. Yep. You were first across the line in sixteen. There was the last lap out of Juice twenty fourteen. Runner up in thirteen. Uh, 15 was past the pace car. There's a theme for just about every one of them, so at least they're easy to remember because yep, of all the yep, different yep. ways that they've unfolded. Is there one in particular that hurt the most, that was the 
that was ours. We had that done. Was it 16 because of the way that unfolded? Was it 14 because it was so close? Which one hurt? I mean, everyone probably talks about how it affected Jamie, but they've forgotten how it affected yeah. you. Which yeah. one crushed you the most? Um, from a personal point of view, um, and that's on a personal performance side of things, actually 13 was the hardest because we led um, for most of the days. We did most, most of those races, and I made a mistake at the chase and mm. went off through the chase and actually gave – um, Frosty and Richo track position, track position. Yep. and then you know Jamie sort of you know tried to pass around the outside the last lap, but we actually gave away track position and gave away. Well, I I made a mistake which gave away that win. Um, that's probably what hurts because it's a personal sort of mistake that I made, and I wasn't racing um, at all throughout twelve. I didn't do any other racing outside the enduros, and the same with thirteen. I think that really showed um, not having the miles, and then two thousand fourteen we did the DVS. Um, program uh, after that. So I think that one really hurt. Um, hey, the emotions of watching the last stint at Bathurst, where generally it's always gone wrong for us, uh, is tough. I think the fuel thing was really tough. Probably you reflect back, yeah, 12 we won, but 12 was nearly exactly the same with fuel. Um, we just yeah, went we, the other way. We just went the other way. Like, you know, I think um, I can't remember how long it was to go in 12. RD came and came and said, oh, we're, we're going to pit. We can't justify the championship. We can't put the championship at risk and we're going to pit from the lead. You know, that was that first year. I couldn't believe it. Now, you know, obviously trying to tell Jamie, as we've seen, trying to tell Jamie that we're going to pit wouldn't have worked anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, so, uh, you know, hey, we, we were fortunate. Um, you know, you look at it, hey, we were in the opportunity to win four or five and, and we've only won one. I look at it, you know, we won one. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we fought as hard as we could. Um, and it's hard, you know, after the race, whether whoever's fault or whatever the circumstance is, it's, you know, the, the, the guys and girls in the team, you know, they put the heart, you know, blood, sweat and tears into, into, into the racing as what we all do. And just the disappointment. Um, and at Triple Eight, you know, a win is acceptable. Mm. Anything That's less is anything not. Anything less. Um, and I think, you know, Arda's been on a record saying, you know, Triple Eight, um, you know, could have or should have or be given itself the opportunity to win every single Bathurst going back to probably 2005 when, when Jamie and Craig did, did a three-peat. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Somewhere along the line here, I think it was, was it 15, you actually became a partner in Triple Eight Race Engineering. Yes. Why so? Is this with a view to down the track having more involvement or you just love the joint so much you wanted to be involved? What's, yeah. Is it your way of staying in racing even though you're not driving it? Yeah, I think, you know, Triple Eight's been unbelievably good to me in the opportunities given to me. You know, RD's a legend in the sport but also a very shit businessman. So, you know, being involved uh, with RD, you know, we had plenty of chats along the years just about business and the sport and, and whatnot and, and RD um, – you know, even with Jamie coming on board subsequently, it was all about succession planning, getting a group of people around that can um, hopefully continue the legacy of Triple Eight well past, you know, Roland, um, you know, not being at the team. So, um, you know, I didn't have a, an aspiration or appetite to um, run the team or anything along those lines. It's just to hopefully provide, um, you know, um, support and, and experience from a broad commercial side of things um, over, over time. And I think Tim Miles and I, um, became involved and then subsequently to that Jamie's obviously you know uh, bought into the team as well a couple of years ago um, as well so what's your status now are you a retired race driver are you a businessman who would do a little bit of racing one-off for a bit of fun down the track what's your what's your status 
Um, status is I've got my what year is it? I've got my 2019 CAMS license uh, application still sitting on my desk with right. a check <laughs> and a medicals which I haven't sent in. So um, yeah, so I think by by that I'm a retired race car driver. I think uh, Will Davis and I we sort of tried to put together a Mercedes. 12-hour drive last year, I think it was, and sort of couldn't get it across the line. So got no doubt that I probably would come back and dust the helmet off and, and do another couple of races. Um, three young children uh, <laughs> and wife Rosie, um, you know, I think it's just the prioritisation of that. Life I changes. Think one day, one day I'll do it for a bit of fun. Um, I guess, uh, you know, for me, you want to go and do it and, and win. Um, and you know, unless that environment's there, mm. you know, my views don't do it. Um, mm. That's why I sort of you know don't don't plan on popping up doing a, you know, a, a sort of a, a co-driving gig somewhere else because you know I think you know, you've got to have the environment to win. In 2018, when you did your final enduros with with Red Bull, the Gold Coast was the you know the third part of the three that yes. we used to have. Yep. You were really non-committal when you were asked about, and you were badgered a few times in previous years if this yep. was going to be your last Bathurst or your, your last endurance drive. When did you decide, when did you know that I'm done and why didn't you, was it a case that you didn't feel like you just wanted any publicity out of it? Or, yeah. or, or Once again, yeah, I think most years, I think RD and I, I think we had seven one-year deals. Yeah. Right. Um, because I, I said from the first day, the day that there's someone else who can do a better job than me is the day that I should stop stop racing. Um and I think at the time, obviously, um, you know, uh, the third car Triple Eight was going to change as well. So, um, you know, there's probably a, a couple of better blokes out there who could do a co-driving gig. One being a, a C Lounge. Um, and and I think for me is um, I was there to do a job. Any external publicity um, about what I was doing was sort of taking us away from. Um, what we actually wanted to do, and Jamie and I tried to unsuccessfully, by the way, try to keep a low profile. Um, uh, you know, throughout the whole enduro, so just do our job. We keep our heads down. Don't get involved in all the other peripheral stuff, and, and we'll do we'll do a good job. So that was the main the main driver of that, and and probably came very very close to stopping many years before. I think. Um, actually, in 2012, I actually had said to RD, I'm, I'm out. So you just won Bathurst. Just won Bathurst. And, and if you go back to 12 or 13-year-old, maybe 14-year-old racing go-karts, I was sitting in the garage with, with Gary, uh, my father. We're cleaning a go-kart watching Bathurst. Uh, and he said, you know, what what do you want to get out of this? Um, and I said Bathurst. Um, so, you know, so getting there and then um, I think Dado and, and Jamie sort of said, no, yeah, we're on a good thing here. Let's keep the, keep the yeah, team together. And Dado, was, More Dado was race engineer at the time. So obviously very close with him and, and J-Dub. And, we, and then we sort of set off on a, on a more of a permanent or longer term sort of partnership. And it's been one of the best co-driver, uh, main driver partnerships in, in supercars history, really. I mean, everyone looks at Bathurst so much, but three wins in the Sandown 500, a bunch of those co-driver race wins, which sadly don't get scored as official yeah, race I wins, know, but you did it. You know what you did. Um, two Gold Coast 600 race wins along the way. There could have been some more, but you won more than probably other people did in that period of time. Tell me about today, though, uh, in terms of business, uh, total tools, what's mm. the role? You, you moved here a little while back. Yeah. Uh, it's all going... Pr- Pretty well, but for the listeners who go, oh, we haven't seen him at a racetrack for a year and a half. What are you doing? What's your role and how's it all yeah. going? Yeah, uh, joined Total Tools as their CEO in um, 2018. Uh, so I've been here a couple of years now. And, and I think from my point of view, being involved in family business, we sold the business to Metcash in 2015 uh, and then we sold it out of Metcash to Burson or Bapcor a couple of years later. Um, 
obviously my history, not only my motorsport, but also our family was very motorsport uh, and automotive orientated. So as much for my own desire and, and challenging myself to do things differently, I wanted to get out of automotive. Some might say tools are not that far away from automotive, but you know the professional tools, power tools, and the business that Total Tools has is a you know a parallel uh, to to automotive. So um, yeah, got given the opportunity to to join here as CEO, and it's been a couple of years, and I think we've um, it's been a bit of a journey. The market. Um, you know, we're, we're the leading um, retailer of professional uh, tools within within Australia. So it's great to join a business that was all, already number one and it's our job to continue to invest and to challenge ourselves to, to maintain that position. And when you say professional tools, you predominantly tradies are your, your target market. It's not the home handyman yeah, who's I think wandering I, in off the street on a Saturday morning. Yeah, 85% of our business is, is to professional trade. So we, we sell tools who, uh, to people uh, who, make, make, who make money off their tools. So I guess if you put it that way, um, that's absolutely sort of our, our DNA and, and our focus. So yes, we're, we have a big red boxes around Australia, 80 plus stores around Australia. So naturally we do have some retail customers. And I think if you walk into one of our stores, uh, some of our biggest stores, you know, it's tool heaven. You know, it's two or 3,000 square meters, a couple of million dollars worth of, of tools. It's Take a pretty, pretty good place to, a uh, pretty good place to shop. Tell me, I did the numbers before I left the office to come and see you today. You did 150 supercars championship rounds. You did 200. And 99 championship <laughs> races. Wow. What, we can't get you back for 300? I know, I know. Do you get life membership or anything? I'm in not sure school? that you I know, do. I, I, I think in AFL get, you get it like yeah, you know, a couple you of do. tickets to every grand final. I, I reckon it'd be worth yeah, it in AFL, I but I'm not sure in supercars if it's worth it. I don't yeah. think you get anything, but a pat on the back, that might be about it. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. I can't remember how many Dunlop Series races I did. Have you got that as well? Well, two Super 2 titles, one yep. with independent race cars with yep. Marty Brandt in 02 and yep. one with the Egglestons with Ben and Rachel yep. in, was that 2016, I think off yes. the top of my head. Uh, 16 round wins and 41 race wins oh, in that series. Of course, you did two, a year with Gibson, a year with Marty Brandt and then a big gap before you came back and yep. did a few years with Egglestons. Uh, are you happy with your, your body of work looking back on it all now? I think it's good. Even the the Super Two sort of platform, you know, there's much criticism about why I was even in there, it. And, there was and, always a lot of that, wasn't there? And I guess you know, I've always said if the rules um, position that you know we couldn't, a, an experienced driver couldn't earn points to win the championship, that's fine. That, that would be fine. Still do it because it you were doing about, it to make sure you didn't do a slip up like Bathurst 2013. Absolutely, yep. and that was a condition for me to drive, continue driving Triple Eight. Absolutely, we we had to continue to 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 race um, and and do a do a platform. Um, one of the things I learned early on is um, not driving multiple cars. I had to drive. It took me 15 years to work out how to drive a V8, so I didn't want to get bad Don't habits. Don't go stuffing around with that now in a Lounsey and, and, and GT and a lot of these other guys can go and do GTs. Yeah, GT races, whatever. many other races. That wasn't me. And, and certainly, once again, coming back down to me understanding what made sense for me and, and, and what worked, that was the key, key decision um, that we continue doing that. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. But I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now you might know their name and recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken bearings are used in some of the world's largest wind turbines? Some standing as tall as 260 metres, that's almost twice the height of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and with rotors as big as 220 metres in diameter. That's almost the distance from the start line to Hell Corner at Mount Panorama. Now these rotors turn on big shafts and at each end is a massive Timken tapered roller bearing. The biggest one with an outside diameter of 3.425 metres. 
That's about three quarters the length of a supercar race car. The bearings have to be perfectly reliable in withstanding massive loads and in extreme conditions like in the North Sea, where a single turbine is expected to produce enough renewable sourced energy to power 16,000 European homes year-round. We'll bring you some more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast this year. Now, it's back to the podcast. It's time for a popular segment of our podcast, Paul. Uh, It's the National Motor Racing Museum's Couch Racer Questions. This is where we open it up for the fans of our uh, Sleuth site and the sport to ask some questions, of which I've tried not to double up on them, but some of them have naturally flowed through. So uh, this is for the National Motor Racing Museum, who are reopened at Mount Panorama after the recent COVID-19 scenario. So uh, if you are in the area, certainly pop in and see the guys. Uh, I'm not sure if any of your old cars are there at the moment, but I'm sure we might squeeze one there in the future. Uh, Ray Dredge. Now, this is a Larry question. He was a hard taskmaster. We've established that. Um, I'm sure I remember him giving you a spray or two on TV. Do you honestly think, though, that you went into the main game a year too early and that's a bit of the result? Um, I don't think the right decision would have been to do um, the Super 2 or the, the Dunlop series or Conica series back then again. I don't think you again. were allowed to, though, were you, as the reigning champion? You I actually think it was, now like Formula Ford where it. you couldn't come back. Yeah, now, now we're talking about it, may, maybe. I can't, can't remember. Yeah, but sure. I think there was a lot of talk about whether or not yeah. you should be allowed to. The challenge in motorsport is, unlike football, where you know if you don't have a budget, you can't go anywhere. So you mm. sort of... If that was the rule, it would be very hard for, for you to, to do that. LP was, it was really tough. You know, it was a really tough time in my life. Um, as I said, I take, I put my hand up and, and it was, um, my performance which led to the majority of that, not the environment that I was in. Funny story. Many, many years later, um, I moved into an apartment on St. Kilda Road. 40 odd story building where we're sort of I know someone who lives around absolutely so I knew knew LP lived uh, you know around uh, this area um, and bought an apartment and get out of the lift you know it's a 40 story building and what are the chances of the four apartments on the one level I live on the same level and next door to Larry Perkins (laughs) and you didn't know (laughs) and didn't know so uh, it's quite funny uh, uh, Ray and Larry so uh, anyway so full circle and uh, you know we have a great relationship now um you know, um, you know, don't don't speak very often, but had a few text messages with him saying "well done" over the years um, as well. He did go in a bat for you one day at Adelaide in two thousand and four. I remember you were in a there was a multi car accident turn eight, and everyone yep. put the finger on you. Yeah, and he went in there and had the technical drawings of the the in car camera and the angles yep. and the and I think it was going to be a ten grand fine that they wanted yep. to get you for, and, and you got off that one. Absolutely, and yeah, he we... went, so everyone who thinks that he just bashed you up, he, he went and fought for you that day. No, he, he held you accountable. Um, but at the same time, one thing you absolutely knew, if, if LP thought you were in the right or you were in the right, he would out. go in and fight, fight for you. And that was probably a, a really good piece of evidence, uh, of, of that. Probably leads to the next question. <laughs> Carl Williams, uh, with a K. Uh, what was Larry's reaction to the big shunt at Pukekohe with Craig Baird in 2005? Cause I remember Craig Gore wanted a piece of you after that one and said all sorts of stuff in the media. So did Larry stand up for you in that one too? Absolutely. Once again, we were in the CAMS hearing on that and LP was there defending and defending the position. And he, LP is he, not he one. He loved the CAMS hearing. Yeah, he, he loved, loved to uh, – it probably had nothing to do with me, but uh, just liked to get one up on CAMS. No, um, LP did. Like, you know, at the end of the day, he would also make you put your hand up when you made a mistake. So, you know, LP was uh, – I learnt a lot from LP and I probably learnt more in reflection many years later than what I did at the time. 
another one, uh, Justin Olden. Uh, was there ever any talk about you and your brother Lucas driving on any basis with his team, Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport? Um, of course, you were with FPR for a big part of that sort of time and you yep. ended up at Triple Eight. And that's something I'd, I'd left because I knew that question mm. was there. Yeah. And, of course, for those who don't know, your, your brother Lucas had a, a bad accident at Oran Park, the old Oran Park, yep. which no longer exists, 2008, I think it was. Yep. Formula Ford, he's been in a wheelchair ever since. And I guess that's probably the first point where you probably asked yourself, do I even want to go car racing? But uh, I remember it vividly. You would clearly remember it more vividly than anybody, but what are the, the memories and thoughts of that 12 years on? We'll answer that question in yeah. a second, but probably the worst weekend of your life, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you still can't put yourself in those shoes and what Lucas – uh, has gone through and still go through every day is is you know he's um, you know you couldn't imagine uh, being in that position um, yeah absolutely you know uh, it's one of those fateful you know um, memories that you have and and for whatever reason I was watching the race at the time in Oran Park for people who remember you're in the pits you couldn't actually see uh, over the back there and and you know there was a there was a big crash and and you just had that really bad feeling uh in your stomach and and ran up to the end of pit lane and and they said no he's got a busted leg or you know he's fine etc as so well you thought he so, was okay yeah that's what the that's what the feedback we got so right. the feedback we got from the marshals was okay and and so the v8 supercar session was on then so jumped in the car and doing practice and then uh um it's funny um i think i was two or three laps into the session you usually go out do five or six laps and i got called into the pits you know, come into the pit straight away. Uh, we've got to chat to you about something. Um, they got me straight out of the car, and put me did, straight did into... Did you twig what it was? Or I knew something was wrong. Something had something had gone gone wrong. Um, and they got me out of the car, still in my race suit from memory, into a rental car and drove me straight to the hospital. Um, obviously, being in New South Wales, um, a family was still in Melbourne um, as well and walked into um, you know, Liverpool Hospital where, where he was. And, you know, it was a it was gut-wrenching... And you see Lucas there and, uh, and, and, you know, a multitude, you know, it felt like 20 doctors around him. I don't know what it was. Um, and, uh, yeah, they were very matter of fact what happened. So she said, this is his injury. Um, and take him into surgery. Um, and, and from there. So yeah, it was a, um, yeah, something which, um, and you got back in the car. Got back in the car that weekend, much, much, you know, I don't, I don't think probably I wanted to have. and probably shouldn't have, to be honest. And there was a lot of emotion that weekend. It was, um, Scafie's retiring it that was. weekend as well. And I remember doing, um, and this is a, I guess, a great thing about the sport. I remember doing the parade lap as we did at the time, uh, and walking back, um, from the pits and Scafie was there and put his arm around me and said, you know, hey, you know, um, it'll be okay you know she's got to keep fighting through it and, and whatnot and um yeah hey um you know i think our families um and lucas especially you know he's the one um who's lived through this and uh you know it's not fair on anyone at a 19 year old which he was at the time to to have to go through something like that um but you know well, i guess we all know motor racing is dangerous and it's it's one of those really tough things to deal with and um and yeah for for lucas he had a career ahead of him and uh, was racing in Aussie racing cars and Formula Ford and whatnot at the time. So, uh, yeah, really, really tough. I remember that in the years before that, though, he was kind of the little kid brother. He was the pain in your butt, really. <laughs> you, you, you weren't that tight, really, were you? And it, I guess if anything came out of a terrible scenario, it made you a bit tighter, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we lived, I live with my father, Gary, and Lucas uh, lived with my mum, Diane, at the time. So, yeah, we, we certainly weren't, uh, you know, and I think there was an eight- or nine-year age, age, so age gap. It was a big age gap. So, so naturally, we were at different 
ages and different sort of maturity levels of our life, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, so obviously that's uh, obviously a, a really tough thing to deal with, and, and still something which um, which is challenging today. To get back to Justin's question about was there ever yep. talk of you? You did drive for LDM for a weekend. You filled in for Nick Perkett when he yes. was ill at Phillip Island in fifteen. Yes, and you did drive the Gulf Western All Car. Bathurst, Bathurst, yeah, took Lucas because for a you're doing lap. for a hot lap, yeah, absolutely, yeah, which was pretty, pretty awesome, yeah, pretty awesome experience, yeah, that's right. So uh, it was funny. I think I was driving the FPR car and jumping out of a four, jumping into a Holden, which <laughs> thank you for both manufacturers. <laughs> um, you know, usually you might get lynched for doing that on the same weekend up at Bathurst, um, but yeah, that was also awesome experience, and hopefully uh, Lucas enjoyed it as well. Uh, Matt asked the questions. What did you think in 2002 at Oran Park? When you got a drive-through penalty and the whole field followed you into pit lane thinking the race had been red flagged. I remember this. This was a Conica series race yeah. where I think you got pinged for jumping the start or something yeah. like that, came in to serve your penalty and everyone came in with you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny. I think it, that's one of the things you got to learn. Know the rule book. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a bit of Larry. Yeah, a bit of Larry. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's quite, quite funny uh, some of the small things that happen over the years. Uh, it did happen. It was true. It did happen. Uh Anthony Stewart was the one who asked the question about the getting your signatures uh, on your P's in, yep. a, in a HQ because you went and got your road license in Queensland, didn't you? So you had your road license. I can't confirm. Earlier than anybody else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. D- d- definitely did, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's so always cool I, when you get to drive commute, to school. Commute, uh, commute to uh, places without the par- parents having to be a ferry for us. Makes it easier. Uh, this one's from Instagram from at JessDane14. <laughs> don't, don't know who don't that Don't know who this be. is. Uh, who's your favourite Dane during AAA board meetings? Oh, there's only one. Question. There's only one. There's only so one. That's Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Had to throw that one in. Uh, the next question is actually from an XV8 supercar and karting driver, and it's our question of the week thanks to Castrol because Castrol is more than just oil, as you know from your many Absolutely. years of driving Castrol cars. It's liquid engineering. They provide the oils, fluids, and lubricants for today and the future for every driver, every rider, and every industry. Follow Castrol on Facebook to stay across the latest in motorsport, competitions, and much, much more. The question's from a, a young man named Alan Gurr. Oh, I remember Alan, yes. Yeah, former Carter of yeah, note and V8 driver. Yep. Is it true, here's your chance to correct <laughs> or run away from a question, that you rolled your dad's car on the trotting track next to the cart track at the Geelong Karting Nationals <laughs> in 1998? Jeez, I think there's some truth and so, some which fiction bit's in that. True? I, which I, bit's I think, false? Uh, I don't think it was my father's car. <laughs> we definitely didn't. We definitely did crash a car. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those uh, things. I think you reflect back on over the years, and uh, you're probably lucky to live through some of the uh, early live, early early years. You're of, giving me daggers. I didn't ask the question. He did. He loaded yeah, it. I just no, fired. I, it. I actually saw that question before today, and I went, "Oh, that's it." Brings up a good memory. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have remembered that one for sure. Uh, one more question in our uh, couch racer questions from Zane Murcher who says, as a year eleven student, which I think you were when you made your V eight debut, yep. what was it like to go back to school after you'd done your first V eight supercar round? Did or was it a case you went to a footy school? So did they even care about car racing? No, the funny story is uh, Xavier, uh, Will, and I both Xavier racing go karts. Xavier College, yep. so uh, great school. Um, uh, we uh, Will and I were racing go karts, and, and racing go karts, you're cleaning carts during the week, preparing go karts, and racing all weekend. And uh, the sport probably didn't have the open mind nature about you know that 
you know, acknowledging that motor racing or go-karting was a different sport. So um, uh, my father and, and Richard, uh, Will's father, um, were regularly spoken to by the school about threatening, I think, to suspend us uh, and whatnot for not doing Saturday sport, not training after school uh, and not doing sport. And I think our, our position was, well, you know, we're, we're doing 30-odd races um, as well. So I think, uh, yeah, we, we certainly had very stern uh, stern uh, talking to from the school over the time. But, yeah, so, so there wasn't a lot of acknowledgement um, of motor racing it was probably frowned upon um, it's funny many years later when you're invited back to the school to speak about, about your career and yeah motor racing and and business etc how quickly thing, things turn and actually had um, indoor go-karting as a elective winter sport I was, so, um, I was campaigning for that at school in Ballarat for years and no one would listen and now it's a thing. Now, yeah, I don't know if it's still there, but absolutely, oh, it's uh, awesome. still, a, still a sport. Uh, well, it was a sport there for a little while. So, um, no, hey, I think schools have completely changed their philosophy on, on that now and, and whatnot. So, but yeah, certainly it was a, a tough time for, for Davo and I yeah, <laughs> over the years. It changes when you've won Bathurst yeah. and you can roll back in, you know. 20 years, 10 years, 15 have, years I think Dave did a good job there of paving, paving the way for us. <laughs> uh, it's time for the Motor Focus Top 10 Shootout. Okay, You've done a few shootouts go. in your time around the mountain and a few other tracks. Uh, Motor Focus is the home of quality scale models stocking all the big brands and many, many more, including, I reckon, a few <laughs> old Castrol and JD cars and some Vodafone cars right. and the like as well. Visit their website, motorfocus.com.au. We've actually started a podcast with them about model cars. Oh, so perfect. if you haven't subscribed to that one, get on the Motor Focus Model Podcast. It's on every fortnight. Or you can drop into their shop if you're in Queensland, Unit 9, number one Stockwell Place in Archerfield, Queensland. Now, 10 things. You give me the first thing that comes <laughs> into your brain. I'll let you have two or three words if you need it. Okay. And by the end of it, I reckon you'll get down to one. Okay, ready? Larry Perkins, in a word. Uh, legend. Roland Dane. And you can't reuse words. Um, really, really hard to put RD into one word. I think ruthless. Ruthless. There you go. Jamie Winkup. I think you used a word for him earlier, but I can't remember what it was. But um, uh, f- Dedication. Mm-hmm. Formula Holden. Scary. <laughs> uh, Marty Brandt. Um, what's, what's a great word for Marty? Who um, ran independent race yeah, cars yeah, that you won yeah, your title yeah, with no two. Many, many, many years with uh, Gibson Motorsport. Um, mm. Which I found had a good relationship, a long, long-term relationship with. Um, I guess a, a mentor. Mm. Time. Bathurst. Uh, iconic. You're getting good at this. One word answers. <laughs> Normally by now everyone's still in two-word territory. Uh, Gary Dumbrell. Um, a love. Mm. You know. Always find it interesting. Have you always – you always call him Gary, not Dad. It's funny, yeah, absolutely. I th- a lot of people ask the question. I think working – plenty of people have different perspectives of this, but working with um, your father, you either in business environments, suppliers, franchisee staff, you know, I felt that, you know, uh, using his name – um, was the right thing to do, much to his disgust. Um, but now I totally disagree with it because oh, my, you, you flipped. My, my, my four-year-old son started calling me PD because uh, <laughs> one, one, one of my good mates uh, started call, uh, calls me PD and then uh, when I don't listen to him, he goes, Dad, Paul, PD. <laughs> so uh, I have to apologise to Gary uh, for You're going to have years. to change your, uh, your approach on that one. Uh, Steve Richards. Um, father figure. Father figure? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a really tough LP. Obviously, that time, you know, I was eighteen or nineteen. Was he kind of the uncle that you went and talked to? Yeah, Did you want to he was. Larry? Yeah, he was a great support, and obviously, then driving with him uh, with Triple Eight many many years later as well, he absolutely, um, you know, gave me the the sort of support and and you know, whilst make, probably making his life harder um, by crashing the, and distracting the team, he absolutely always gave me the full support all the way all the way uh, along the years. Another former teammate, Rick Kelly, and a former radio co-host of yours too. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Sacked radio hosts, I think we were. <laughs> no, with Hutchie. Um, uh, oh, just Larrikin, you know. We had a gro- many, many funny laughs over the years with uh, with Rico. I think most people who don't know him don't understand the fact that he's actually quite a funny unit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, a, uh, a very acquired taste of humour. <laughs> <laughs> but once you acquire it, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And one more to finish off with, a guy who I guess you would have grown up watching race and thought you would never drive with him, Jacques Villeneuve. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, really, oh, what's the right word? Not how I felt. Yeah, it was a quite an amazing. Um, I think you have I used legend. I think I've used legend. I think already, you use that for I? Larry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably a, a hero. Um, he was one of. I remember sitting at the Melbourne Grand Prix uh, with my uncle um, Steve Henderson, uh, watching his first race. Uh, 1996. Um, Which he nearly won. He nearly won. Yeah, finished second, I think, on debut uh, from memory. Um, the good old days with uh, V12 engines would have been back then. Um, yeah, when they had V12s and V10s and V8s, but mainly V10s. I think Ferrari yeah. would be 10 by that. But yeah, but anyway, um, when they actually sounded good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like to, to think we come over to Australia and race at the Gold Coast uh, was an awesome experience. And he was so down to earth. He was just one of the lads uh, there for a good time as as well. Cool. You've survived. You've gone Thank 10 you. in the top 10 shootout and made it through. So congratulations. I don't think you touched a guardrail the whole way through. I so. know. Didn't, uh, didn't spear it off. No, it did well. We've covered a lot of ground. There's probably heaps of other stuff that we could have covered off too. But thank you for sitting down to be our 50th episode. The guy who won the 50th year celebration race at Bathurst, it was was meant to be. PD, thanks again. Thanks, Nones, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. So there you have it, PD, the second part of Paul Dumbrell on the V8 Sleuth podcast. I've got to say a massive thank you for sitting down with us to Paul Dumbrell because he's an unbelievably busy guy with business and family. He's got three kids now. It was great to catch up with him and go over his motorsport journey. I think he's like a lot of our guests who, when we go down memory lane with them, they actually stop and think about things that they probably haven't thought about or discussed for 5, 10, 15 years. So it was great to go down and run over some old ground. Of course, keep following us in terms of the V8 Sleuth podcast. More episodes coming every week. We've got a sit-down coming very soon with Michael Caruso. Uh, We've got some insight into the upcoming Brock movie. We're going to sit down and look through where all of Peter Brock's Bathurst 1000 cars are in upcoming episodes. And we'll also do some more fan Q&A. Don't forget to jump online to our bookshop, bookshop bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. You can pre-order the Holden Racing the Lion book that's celebrating 70 years of Holden in Australian motorsport and the Bathurst 12-hour book that covers the last 10 years of GT racing. Our Dick Johnson Racing Cars book, we've sold out. We have no more copies. You'll have to go to some other stockists around the country to try to find those. So don't miss out on our Holden and our 12-hour books. Very important that you pre-order and you won't miss out when they arrive a bit later in the year. As always, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Keep in touch. Keep the emails coming through the website and join our newsletter too so you're advised as to all the latest and greatest in what's going on in V8 Sleuth. That's us done for this podcast. There's another one coming soon. Make sure you listen out for the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timken. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? 
Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.